Ah, what a great track from 1971 then. There's Keep On Keeping On by Nolan Porter, recording as NF. And I had the good fortune to meet Nolan as he appeared alongside Anne Sexton and Margie Joseph at Blackpool International Soul Festival. And I've got Nolan on the line, live from California. Nolan, welcome to the show. Welcome to you. Good to hear you, Haiti. Uh, it was yeah, gr- I, I loved meeting you in Blackpool. It and was that great. Was, that was great. That was one of the highlights of my life. I got so much love there. And uh, I thought it was just about three, between three and 4,000 people, and I was told that there might have been close to 6,000 Yeah, people. yeah, apparently wow. so. I, I heard that the 6,000 tickets, it was almost a sellout, and there were 6,000 tickets up for, uh, up for grabs. I don't know that wow. everybody managed to get in to cram into the main ballroom to uh, see the performance. <laughs> it was cramped, for But sure. it, was, it was very hot and sweaty. <laughs> it was. There were a lot of bodies in there. But yeah, what, yeah. I mean, what an event. It, it, was, oh, it, was, it was electric, it was, wasn't it? It was electric, and the building is, you know, somebody said this is one of the crown jewels in the U.K., mm. uh, and, and I believe that. It, it was just the architecture, and yeah. it was so impressive That's and so it. beautiful. Mid-Victorian it was really beautiful. special to be there, in addition to the audience. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> so, um, the other artists that were on, as I say, I mentioned Anne Sexton, Margie Joseph, uh, there was also Eloise Laws, of course, and Patty Osden. Uh, had you met them professionally before? Because you're all from you different know, parts of America, aren't you? I hadn't met them professionally before. Of course, I've been a big fan of Patty Austin oh, yeah. for for a long time, and uh, you know, I was I came in on the West Coast. Eloise Laws. I was surprised everybody's heard of her brother Hubert Laws and Ronnie yeah. Laws, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I heard some of the material that she worked on with them and other things, and I started recognizing it. But you know, I grew up in California. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles was the West Coast, right? Yeah. So we had what we called uh, in uh, soul music. We had the A list and the B list, uh-huh. and the A listers were all the people that came originally from Detroit, but came out to Los Angeles with Barry Gordy, right? Right. And when Motown made the big because change using strings and sounding very, very overproduced. So the A-list artists were back in, you know, in the South and in Detroit. We didn't hear much about them when I was growing up. Right. So there's a lot of so many artists, great artists from the East Coast of the United States that I didn't hear about till I started coming to England, and that's the truth. Oh crikey! Yeah, well, you see, the great th- the thing that always astonishes me about soul music. I mean, I've been buying it since I was probably 15 years old, uh, and that's longer uh-huh. than I care to remember. And the more I know about soul music, the more I know I don't know about soul music because there's always <laughs> sort of a never-ending story. Yeah, because yeah. each record takes you on to a dozen others, and each of those takes you on to a dozen others, and you think, how can so much quality music have passed me by? But it yeah. continues to do so, and it's it's just a life's quest to find the next great track. <laughs> Um, but there, there you go. That, that's my personal, uh, that's my personal pilgrimage. So you're born in Los Angeles and um, yeah. singing and songwriting. How did you get involved in in music? Did it come through high school, through church? You, you know, I got involved in music as soon as I was able to put a melody together. I mean, in the sense of just loving it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, 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 my voice was a little more developed than some people. Just, just, I'm just talking about the anatomy of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was very young, I could I could have sound almost like a, a bass profundo by the time I was 14. All right. And uh, so I had a love of it really early. But then, of course, when I was 12 and 13, my dad had a church, and I, I sang in church a little bit. Yeah. And um, I developed a real love for classical music. And I started, in high school, started singing with madrigal groups. Madrigal uh-huh. groups, 
you, you, we, I think we mentioned this. Madrigal groups travel around in you know uh, Renaissance attire mm-hmm. and sing songs from basically between the 15th and 17th century. It was just a hobby of mine. Uh, did, did you but, have to sing it in, in Latin or Italian? Uh, I did sing some songs in Latin, wow. and French, and Italian. I, if, as a hobby to this day, uh, I sing madrigals. Wow. And, you know, I don't we're do, we're do it under my own name. There's a group I know, and for the holidays, different holidays, we dress up in our Renaissance outfits and we sing. Fantastic. And I love it. Yeah, it keeps my chops up. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, then from that, of course, you know, when the uh, 60s came in, when I met Gabriel Meckler, who was producing uh, Steppenwolf, Three Dog Night, playing with Sonny and Shear, playing piano with them. His sister, Gabriel Mector's sister, and I were very good friends at uh, Los Angeles City College, and we right. were both singing in a madrigal group. Oh. And she says, you got to hear, I want to introduce you to my brother. He's working with this group called, I don't know if you remember them, Blue Cheer. No. And he also uh, just discovered this group, Steppenwolf, oh, or yes, working with them. So I, I met Gabriel. I had an audition. It was probably the lamest audition I ever had. I sang uh, Donovan's Sunshine Superman in a All perfectly right. operatic voice. I don't know what Gabriel saw in me <laughs> at that time, but somehow he saw a soul singer <laughs> through what? that classical voice Blimey. and worked with me for the next two years in his garage and in his studio, inundating me with, with uh, Mick Jagger and Otis Redding. Wow. And, uh, the other, that, that is literally a true story. How cool so is that? I was... My, you know, even though I loved the, like I said, the Motown sound after it came out here yeah. in the late '60s, um, it was Gabrielle who really, really, you know, made me into a soul singer. Changed Lovely. my whole outlook on music. Yeah, because uh, also he got his own record label, hasn't he? That that was your first output on his label. Lizard. He was with ABC Dunhill before mm-hmm. Lizard Records. Then he went and started Lizard Records, and of course we had. Uh, Plighty King from the Ronettes. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Rick James was with us oh. for a little for a while. Uh, he had a good relationship with Gabrielle, and he did a couple of gigs with me at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. And we had Johnny Guitar Watson, who was really my God. He's the he's the lead guitar player on. If I can only be sure, I didn't know that. that. Was one of my mentors, you know, uh, for a while. So that was uh, I stand on tall shoulders. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. lovely. Um, so uh, whilst on. Um uh, on Lizard Records, you, you released your first LP and uh, your single as well. Singles, rather. Right. Um, featuring songs, songs by Steve Cropper, Booker Jones and Randy Newman, as well as yes. your own material. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, that was the first album, Nolan, uh, Nolan No Apologies. Uh-huh. Um, I did Burn Down the Cornfields, which is written by Randy Newman. Lead guitar part on there was Lowell George. Oh. I mean, Lowell just had such an original sound and an original feel, and I loved that song. I mean, even the lyrics I really loved. Yeah. And uh, I did get a message from Randy. He thought it was. He said he really liked it, a little different than he heard it originally, but he really liked it, so that was quite a compliment from him. Good, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A good endorsement, that. Yeah. And I'd like to start adding some of the songs off that first album to my shows, because... You know, I found out later, you know, Lowell George is so loved in, in other in different parts of Europe as well as the United States. And, you know, they don't play his stuff here, even except for the, the hits that he wrote mm. for Linda Ronstadt. I think yeah. he wrote a couple for yeah. her. But, uh, and then, you know, I worked with the Mothers of Invention. Uh, right after they left Frank, they did my first album, Jimmy Carl Black, Roy Estrada. I mean, I w- I've just been lucky. You know, to to encounter so many really musicians that were further along than I was, and a little bit older that I could learn from. Great in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's very very handy to have uh, good mentors, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, Lizard uh, Records went through in 1971, and uh, you got the opportunity to work for ABC. What happened there is, uh, I guess, they, they were having some problems with Lizard. I won't go into the whole thing, but Gabrielle, I think, was trying to keep the material going. So he went to ABC, and ABC, uh, I did released, uh, if I could only be sure, even though I read, wrote it under Lizard Records mm -hmm. originally, ABC actually distributed it. Oh. So uh, as Lizard was breaking up, uh, Gabrielle tried to take things to ABC, and from there the history gets really weird. Uh, I didn't know, you know, I didn't, the last time I heard my song on the radio was Keep On Keeping On in yeah. 1973. It was the number one song in Los Angeles on New Year's Eve, 1973. Oh, wow. And it was, it was going to be a massive hit, but Lizard Records broke up within a few months after that. Yeah. And the record had just stopped. I had no idea from 1973 to 1996 that it was a, a, sort of a hit in UK. You guys oh, yeah. On the all-nighters. Yeah, no absolutely. Idea. There was, yeah. uh, and still is, um, a large market for um, that. Yeah, uh, um, underground 70s, well, underground uh, American soul music. Yeah. Yeah, large market. We're mad for it. In fact, it's not just UK uh, phenomenon, it's it's Europe-wide. So, yeah. But, but I think I've, um, from doing these series of interviews, the, the thing that's sort of standing out is that the American market tends to look forward to the next... Best, uh, right. the next thing coming whereas the european market gets very nostalgic and um they, they find something good and they cling on to it um yeah and so yeah but it's always been that in europe with music right you're the great classical musician mm, yeah i suppose you learn to love them more over time mm -hmm. but here you're right it's what have you done lately and if nobody's heard <laughs> anything from you for the last few years you're you must gone. be dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> giving up music you're right about that. What have you done lately? And so there's no real loyalty and love for the old music. But, you know, there is in Europe and now other places and starting to uh, liven a little bit here, too. Excellent. Not like the UK, but it's starting to get a little respect here. Good, good. And so it should. Uh, so, of course, there was um, the iconic, uh, if I could only be sure, came from your first album with, or your, your album with ABC, which was uh, titled Nolan. Right. I recorded it while I was with Lizard, but like I said, Gabrielle took it over and they, and they distributed it. And that's where we're in, and yet we haven't talked for 46 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Until somebody finally contacted and let them know. They know I'm alive, and I know that they, they do my self-vinyl records on a vinyl record day they have in, in uh, parts of England. And, yes. Um, that's my stuff, and they haven't given me a cent on it, but I'm, I'm working on it, and I'll just keep on keeping on, and eventually I think things will be sorted out in the right way. Mm, I should hope so, too, because that is an all-too-common um, complaint that yeah. uh, the record companies are just not passing on the royalties to the, uh, the people who are making them money. Well, you know, of course, their attitude, the record companies, is, do you, have the, you really have the money to take me to court? Yeah, that's, that's your you problem, If you do, go ahead and try. That's your problem. That's your problem. Oh, dear. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, on um, on your album Nolan, as I say, uh, if I could only be sure, absolutely massive over here and continues to pack floors up and down the country. We'll play that next. And so, from the same LP, 1972 uh, album, Nolan, that was Oh Baby, released as a B-side to uh, Singer Man. I play that because that is a regular feature. I tend to favour uh, rare and underplayed um, days where um, 
you, you, you get to hear something different and that is a regular yeah. track on there what a beautiful record thank you very much well you know singer man gabriel mechler and i went to jamaica all right because to, you to did do some rock study the, as well didn't you you, you've, you've well, we did Grimmin' Out on Life around the same time that Rita Franklin did Rocksteady, Rock mm-hmm. about a year later. Yeah. And Gabriel Meckler was, you know, he was one of these producers in the early 70s. He knew that reggae was, this was before Bob Marley came yeah. over here. But he, Gabriel knew it was going to be huge. The next best thing. So we brought a song, ba- two songs back from Montego Bay. Uh-huh. When we went there. One was Singer Man. And the other one was Grooving Out on Life. I didn't write either of those, but I was the first one to record them right. here in the States, and they were both on the top 100 charts. Or at least Grooving Out on Life was. Singer Man was never released as a single. I'm glad to hear that people really liked that. Um, Three Dog Night re- released Singer Man as a single and put it in a minor key. And I, I love Three Dog Night, love everything they've done. That was the worst record they ever made. Oh, no. Putting Singer Man in a, well, yeah, in a, Singer in a minor Man key. sometimes, you know, and put it in a minor key. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll just turn it into such a doleful track, won't it? Yeah. Damn. But anyway, uh, and um, but now I do that song, and, and I've had a couple of Jamaican music musicians recently that have been performing with me come up and tell me they love my version of Singer Man. Of course, they know the original, and they love mine, too, and that makes me feel real good, and the audience seems to be responding to it. And Oh Baby, can I mention something about yes, Oh Baby? Please. Oh, baby, I used to work with a guy named, uh, he's still living here in, in uh, California, named Gordon Austin. I think his name is on the record also. Right. <laughs> and Gordon and I wrote that song when I was about 21. Uh, you know, we just started ad-libbing. We had been singing a lot as a duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to wear our Nehru jackets and sing in coffee <laughs> houses. This is the late 60s. And we were writing some spoke rock material, okay. which I don't know if I ever recorded it or if I even try to find it. But uh, uh, he uh, also later on wrote a song that you mentioned called Street Scene. Mm-hmm. Gordon's written a few songs that I'd like to record now. I talked to him about it. He'd been very ill, almost died, but now he's still, still alive and doing better. And I, uh, you, you know the song I'm mentioning, Street Scene? Uh-huh. I think you mentioned that? Yeah. 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 So I'm going to, some of those songs, I'm going to come out with a CD that I'm, I'm going to own this time, and, uh, and of the songs that Gordon Austin has written with me besides Oh Baby. You know, I, I was teasing people at Blackpool. I, I told, uh, I said, mentioned that when Gordon and I would uh, meet a really, you know, cute girl, we'd get her off to the side and we'd play her the song, Oh Baby, right? And, and Gordon would say, well, I wrote this song. You know, <laughs> I knew I was waiting for you to come along. And I'd see the girl and I'd tell her I'd, I wrote the song. They yeah. eventually figured out that both of us were lying. <laughs> but, you know, it was a good line anyway. <laughs> yeah. Christ, anyway, that was written by my good friend and fine songwriter, Gordon Austin, along with me. Lovely, because uh, in the intervening years, you were you left um, between between seventy two and um, well, nineteen eighty was your next uh, excursion into the music market with uh, with Street Scene, wasn't it? Right, I did Street Scene, a song called because it's on the Nolan CD, Bird Without a Song, mm-hmm. uh, Only a Thought Away. I think those are the, some of the best songs I had, I had done. Yeah. I mean, uh, in Only a Thought Away and Bird Without a Song are R&B, but with a different twist, sort of my way, mixing a bit of a classical element into it, which was my roots. And uh, Street Scene is just, you know, a good rocker number and uh, one of Gordon's finest, and we used to sing that for audiences, and they seemed to really respond to it, so hopefully they'll respond to it again all these, all these years later. Well, that's right, because you are still recording, aren't you? Those, those and, um, and some new material are available on uh, a new CD. Yes. 
As a matter of fact, I you know since around oh gosh, I never I never got out of the music business like I said for years. I did I did magical music. I used to do street theater for a while. It was right. very political in the late eighties and uh, and in the um, early nineties to the mid nineties actually late nineties. Yeah. I was doing political you know writing and singing political uh, songs. Right. Now, uh, a little rallies and you know I mean, sort of went through my another political phase after the one I had gone through mm-hmm. 10 years earlier 20 years earlier from the Viet since the Vietnam War yeah and well, uh, that was just part of me but then you know after a while I, I'm not I don't regret that I did that but then I started wanting to really I really felt bad that my old material was not being played here in the states mm-hmm. and uh, and it caused a lot of lot of sadness and anguish to me but when I found out in around 1996 that my stuff was being played, it just put new life into my whole soul and my music and also my, you know, musical create things that I wanted to create musically all over again. But uh, those times where I wasn't with a record company, I was always doing music. Great stuff. You know, I worked a country western band, <laughs> uh, went to Alaska, took a band and stayed for several months. I worked in the South China Seas as a as a piano player on a cruise ship. Wow! So now, uh, talking about alternative careers, a little bird tells me you also worked as a comedian. <laughs> so t- tell me about that. That's that's a I, unique uh, quality. Yeah, you know, I I don't know how many people think I'm funny. <laughs> you know, I, I love humor, but but actually, I was working with a guy named Timothy Nicely. Right. His name was Timothy Paola. That was his birth name. Okay. But Paola means you know money, illegal money under the table. Oh, so right. he changed his last name from Paola to Nicely. And Timothy was actually the funny guy, the comedian, and I was his straight man. We were doing sort of musical comedy, and I was the straight man. Oh, I see. And right, and it was. But I wanted to learn comedy to become a better performer. That's why I did it. Well, yeah, it's because all about who time, has a isn't harder it? job than a comedian? Absolutely. At one o'clock in the morning with a hostile audience. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody knew who I was musically or heard the music. So I did it for a while. I had a couple of successes, you know, and got some accolades on a couple of shows. And also I bombed at the comedy store, without a doubt. Oh, bless. And, uh, but, you know, it did make me think more on my feet when I went on stage. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. And um, another sort of, um, I don't know about career, but uh, worthwhile sort of activity, you also work with children, don't you, in between recording? Yeah, yeah. I took... Uh, I took a day job about 10 years ago uh, through a friend of mine. She's the head of the autism department at uh, what we call Westside Regional Center. Uh, regional centers sort of uh, take people with uh, autism mm-hmm. related to a physical disability, yeah. and they get them their doctors, they get their prosthetics, they manage their education, they just get totally involved in their lives, helping them to get the benefits and the things that they need to better their quality of life. Mm. And so I work at this place, and half the social workers and some of the psychologists, they're old friends of mine from grammar school. Wow. And they know I'm a musician, and so I do benefit concerts for them and get a chance to work with uh, some autistic people who are making the transition from being totally dependent to actually going to work. So I uh, work with these people from time to time. It's called Westside Regional Center. And it's really kind of my heart a little bit, you know, because I I like to work with uh, people with special needs. I like to work with them musically. 
so I'm thinking about soon of getting my music therapist license and, and do that also. I'll never stop recording and singing, but right. there's a deeper level to music that, I, that I'd like to express well, through autistic children. So yeah, well, definitely, because, there. because music and animals are, are both great um, enablers for, uh, for the autistic spectrum, aren't they? They um, engage yeah. the people because it's not a human sort of contact. It's, it's right. just another way to reach them, so uh, yeah, it's very good. And music does reach, and some people, these autistic people are incredible musicians. Oh, yeah. But they're not out there for all the hype. They're not out there to become stars. They just do it because they love it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's very healing, as you, as you know. Music, I mean, you don't have to be autistic to know that music, no. music is really healing. And I, I did a review of Stone Foundation's album. I was so impressed because it was just soul music, simple soul music, the kind of people, that, the music that they need here in, in the States. You know, I mean, like mm -hmm. I said, old soul's coming back a little bit, but they're still playing all the the new, whatever it is, uh, from rap to top 40. And, yeah. you know, and it's, it's not really music that grabs the heart and the soul. No. No, but and the music that some of the artists in England, especially Stone Foundation, and Paul Weller's uh, last album that he produced with him. I mean, that soul music is just, it's loving, it's, 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 it's real, you know, it's generous. Anyway, I don't want to go on and on, but um, I really enjoyed saying that about their album. Great, great. Because I think Paul Weller's recently covered one of your tracks, hasn't he? He did, Paul Weller did, uh, if I can only be sure, yeah. I think in the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, I think he fell in love with Johnny Guitar Watson's lick <laughs> on there. I don't even know if he knew that was Johnny Guitar Watson I playing know. it. Don't but, know, never uh, met him. I don't think he ever did. No. But Johnny, he loved that riff, and also he liked, you know, he liked what I was doing on it. But when he recorded that, that started putting new life into that song. I mean, there were people there who knew it, what it was, but it started putting new life into it. And, and also it helped me every time I go back to the U.K. or somebody in the U.K. does something for me, it translates out here a little bit and helps me out here a little bit also. Great in stuff. In the States, I mean. So in, in addition to the, uh, the new material that you're recording, do you have any previously unreleased stuff from the 70s? I'm going to release things. I have so much stuff that I recorded that I never released. Really? Yeah. And Ooh. you know my voice has different sounds to it. Right. Grip out on life, it was one sound, and if I can only be sure. I mean, those are all high. Uh, keep on keeping on where I'm using my higher voice, mm -hmm. old baby. But I have some songs where, you know, I'm actually a baritone. Wow. And, and I have some songs, you know, it was not really popular to come out, you know, uh, with a baritone voice in the, in the late 60s up to the 70s, you know, and you had a real low voice. Except, you know, and then you had Barry White, yeah. of course. Yeah, of course. was a huge hit with that low voice and, and Isaac Hayes. But most, you know, most uh, male singers were pushing it up an octave, you know, mm. a, a few notches. Yeah. But then, and, of course, uh, so I have a whole lot of stuff that I wrote. Uh, one song I wrote in this, uh, 1980 called Looking for America. Oh. I wrote it during the time I was recording the songs you were talking about, yeah. Street Scene, um, in uh, 1980, yeah, in a studio in L.A. And these are songs uh, that I've been wanting to sing publicly for over 30 years, and I've never performed them. Um, so I'd like to, to record all those old songs that I wrote and never never performed. Good stuff. I look forward to hearing them. So, um, where can people... We mentioned uh, briefly your, uh, your latest CD. Where can uh -huh. people buy that, please? Tell us a bit about that. Right now, they can go on... Uh, it's Soul Side Productions. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this with a gentleman named Marv Mack of Soul Side Productions. Uh, he produced this. He's the executive producer, mm -hmm. 
and uh, I wrote the track, the lyrics, and the music, um, and uh, to go, go, go. And really, it was just, uh, you know, Marv brought me a track, and I made sure it wasn't a, a, a stolen bootleg track, yeah. right? It was all legal. Uh, the track was put together uh, by, I'm thinking I had his name, Reg Myrick. And uh, we started talking, and I just wrote some lyrics for this, and then started coming out as a, a tribute to Northern Soul, because I realized that what it, the thing that had influenced my life the most the last 10 years is uh, me finding out that my music was big on the Northern Soul scene. Yeah, absolutely. So it was kind of a tribute to the U.K., and the USA, just talking about the music and soul music and how, you know, we're so close together on that, sort of the United States of soul when it comes to music, you know. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to, without being too, you know, corny, just sort of put that out, put that out there and do it in a way that people could dance to it also. Yeah, great, because it does have a very retro sound. It's, uh, it's one of those things that takes you back to a time and a place. Uh, but it's, yeah. it, it's still contemporary. So that's uh, Go, Go, Go. That was released last year. Yeah. Great. Right. Soul well, side production. And also, I'm going to have it. I'm going to. A lot of my Facebook friends know they can get it. And I'm going to start a new website. And, uh, and, and uh, I'll let people know where they can get that. But right now, they can go to uh, Soul Side Productions. And it's Go, Go, Go by Nolan Porter. Brilliant. Right. We're going to play out with that then, Nolan. Thank you very much for uh, giving up your time to be with us this evening. I really appreciate it. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you and uh, captivated by uh, your memoirs. Thanks for sharing. Thank you.